morning. I'm Sam. I'll be reading from the Bible this morning. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, it's Psalm 16. The notices tell you what pages. This is David speaking. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The next reading is from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. Peter is speaking. Chapter 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses to it. Thanks, Sam. Hello again, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. That you haven't left us by ourselves to work out who you are, what you've done for us, Jesus, but you give us your word 
thank you for that, Father. We pray that as we come to your word this morning, you'll help us to see it clearly. And that we might walk out of here as changed people. Spurred on to live for Jesus in all we do. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? We had a, uh, our kids down the front before. We were waiting for Christmas. And kids, what you might not realize is that I can tell what you're waiting for. Because when you're waiting for Christmas, or you're waiting for your birthday, and you drop hints to mum or dad about what you'd like to receive as a present for your birthday or for Christmas, you can tell what you're waiting for. Because what you're waiting for changes how you live now. If you're of a different age bracket in this room, well, perhaps you're waiting for something else. Maybe you're waiting for a promotion. And you know that what you're waiting for changes how you live now because you keep reminding yourself, just keep putting in the hard work and I'll get rewarded. Maybe you're waiting for retirement. Two more years of hard work and I'll be free. Or maybe you're waiting for grandkids or or great-grandkids and you toe the line between encouraging your children to have children and saying, look, I'm not going to live forever and you need to have a kid. I need to have a grandkid. What you're waiting for changes how you live now. We continue our series in the Psalms, Portraits of the King, where we're looking at Psalms, which look at Jesus. And Psalm 16, which we come to this morning has a big idea. What we're waiting for changes how we live now. So let's start uh, by thinking about being all in on God. We're going to think about being all in on God and then think about what we're waiting for. If you've got a Bible with you, open up to Psalm 16 and we'll look at verse 1. David begins his prayer to God. Psalm 16 verse 1. Keep me safe, my God. Keep me safe, my God. It seems that David writes this psalm in the context of fleeing for his life from Saul. 1 Samuel 26, uh, 19, David says, They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, Go serve other gods. Themes and language which are used in this psalm. And so whether David writes this in the middle of fleeing in a cave somewhere, or he writes it later as he's reflecting on that time, this psalm is written in the context of fleeing death. Threats for David are real, present, and dangerous. You know, often when you're praying and times are good, we start our prayers with praise and thanksgiving, and that's a fantastic habit, it's a really good habit. But have you noticed that when you're in the pit, prayers can become blunter? Lord, forgive me. Heal me, God. I remember chatting to a former minister of mine who was saying that a prayer that he used to pray was four letters long. Help. And sometimes difficult circumstances can bring a directness to our prayer life and it seems to do so for David here and so I just want to say straight up this morning if you are in the pit this morning if you are in the middle of one of life's crises then echo David's prayer keep me safe 
my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. When I was in high school, I uh, got into poker in a big way with my friends. And we used to go around to each other's places and we'd all had our own poker sets. And I had a, uh, an automatic card shuffling and dealing machine, which was worth at least 20 bucks from Kmart. So we were pretty serious. Uh, Texas Hold'em was the variation we used to play. Now at this stage, I want to say, be upfront, I'm not saying this to encourage gambling. Uh, you see sports betting ads on TV and they make it look so appealing and then gamble responsibly. Um, so my disclaimer is don't gamble. But if, you have, if your friend has a poker set, then a game of cards can be fun. Anyway, if you're playing poker and you're as bad as me, you'll quickly get to a stage in the game where you need a big win because your chips, you started with this many and you've now got this many. And uh, if you don't do something quick, you've got to be out of the game. And so what happens is you get dealt two kings. Pocket kings is the terminology for those of us in the, in the know. And you look at your kings and you go, they're good cards. And you muster all the bravado that you can. And you say to everyone around the table, I'm going all in. And you push your chips or you push your chips into the middle of the table. And what you're saying is, I'm going all in on my two kings. My trust is in my two kings. They are going to deliver me from the situation that I'm in. And more than that, if they fail me, I'm gone. I'm out. I've got no hope left. Here in Psalm 16, verse 1 and 2, David says, I'm going all in on God. If God fails me, I've got nothing. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Can you say, my God, for in, in you I take refuge? I want to say, if you're in the pit at the moment, go all in on God. Go all in. Place your trust in Him. Maybe you're not in the pit at the moment, but you can think back to a time when you were, and maybe you can think back to a time when you weren't a Christian and it was the, the struggles of life and then trusting God in those struggles that brought you to know Him. Or maybe like me, you look back on your life and you go, you know what? There's been the odd thing that's hard, but I don't think I've hit the pit yet. I don't think I've had any major crises. You know, I'm young, my body's still strong. I feel like I can do anything. I, don't, you know, I live in a city where I'm unlikely to get a waterborne disease. I'm unlikely to get caught up in a regional conflict and be fearful for my life. So if you are like that and you think you're like right now life's okay I plead with you as I plead with myself go all in on God trust Him now develop habits of trusting God with everything because crises will come maybe when you're older maybe when you least expect it and when those times come, if you have been trusting in God in the good times, it will be easier to trust in God during the hard. 
in verse 4 of Psalm 16, says that those who run after other gods, those who run after a God who isn't the God of the Bible, who run after the other things of this world, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. You know, as Christians, we have the very thing which can prevent us from further suffering. Go all in on God. Trust Him. Is there something today which you need to surrender to Jesus to be able to say you're all in on God? The turning point for this psalm comes in verse 6. David writes, Having thought about how perilous his situation is, verse 6, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And as you're reading the psalm, and as you think about the background to what it's been written, and you go, well, what on earth is this delightful inheritance? Are you fleeing from death? What is this inheritance? The second half of the psalm. And here we begin to see that what we're waiting for changes how we live now. You see, the delightful inheritance is what David is waiting for. And the impact that it has on him is telling. Have a look at verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Why? Verse 10, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Why does David think that God won't let his faithful ones see decay? Has he gone on holiday to Egypt and he's learnt the latest embalming techniques and practices? No, no. David is waiting for resurrection. David is waiting for resurrection. Did you notice the the body-themed language in those verses? He talks about my heart, my eyes, my right hand, my tongue, my body. And he uses these because he is waiting for a very physical, bodily resurrection. And this is a very real Jewish hope. Uh, Do you remember the death of Lazarus? John 11. And we pick up the scene where we've got Lazarus who's died couple of days ago, Jesus and Martha, Martha being Lazarus' sister. And Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. Now what Jesus means is, I'm about to raise him from the dead right now. But Martha doesn't quite get that just yet. And so Martha goes to the hope, the Jewish hope of resurrection. She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so we see there that what we're waiting for changes how we live now. For Martha, in, in the now of grieving for her brother, resurrection brings her, gives her hope. It changes her in the now of her brother's death. For David in Psalm 16, what he's waiting for changes how he lives in the now of fleeing death. He can go, and take refuge in God. He can go all in on God because he's waiting for resurrection. No, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Here's the problem though. David did die. Not at the hands of Saul, but he did die. So what do we make of his 
trust in God, of his complete hope, his refuge in God. Was that misplaced? Was that mistaken? Should he have spent more effort on his superannuation plan and experienced more of life while he had the chance? Well, the Apostle Peter, Peter speaking in Acts chapter 2, quotes Psalm 16. And he gives us an answer. He quotes the psalm, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And then Peter addresses the crowd and he says, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb's here to this day. But David had this hope. David, you will not let your faithful one see decay. He's dead. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that God would place one of David's descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead nor did his body see decay. And God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. You see, Psalm 16 is a portrait of the King. And and from the New Testament on, our hope isn't in a general promise of resurrection. Our hope is in Jesus, who is the first to rise from the dead. And if our trust is in Him, then we know that we too will rise. Do you remember uh, what happens next in John 11 with Jesus and Martha? Martha says, I I know I'll see Him again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And friends, that is our hope. Jesus is our hope. It's the same hope that's held out for us in Psalm 16, verse 11. David says, You make known to me the path of life. This life that I'm living now, God makes known to me how I live that. And you will fill me, future tense, with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The refugee at the beginning of the psalm is now an heir. And he's gone from, keep me safe, my God, to surely I have a delightful inheritance. The refugee who says, in you I take refuge, is now saying, with the Lord at my right hand, I cannot be shaken wonderfully freeing for us it's also what marks us out as a little bit crazy as Christians if you're after an interesting social experiment take a friend of yours who doesn't know Jesus and go to a graveyard and uh, direct their attention to a grave and say my body won't stay in there you might get an interesting response they might start uh, phoning through different institutions to see if there's a place for you. Right? It's weird. Our world thinks we're nuts. 
we have a hope of resurrection? Not a vague spiritual life for eternity, but real physical bodily resurrection. But I think this is so important for us because what we're waiting for changes how we live now. And I want to give just three examples. I want to talk about how it changes our attitude towards experience, justice, and death. So first up, experience. You know how desperately our world craves experience. Everything is sold to us as an experience from an overseas holiday to a new phone to a meal at a restaurant. Right? Everything's an experience that you have to have. And more than that, there's the whole thing of the bucket list, right? The things that you need to experience before you kick the bucket. And the logic is, I've only got so many years on this earth to experience everything. And so I don't want to miss out. I've got to experience everything while I've got the chance. You know, resurrection says you won't miss out. Psalm 1611. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Worrying about missing out on experiences in this life when we've got eternity ahead of us is like worrying about missing out on the canopy that's been dropped on the ground when we've got an entree, main course and dessert ahead of us. This world doesn't have anything that can even remotely compare to eternal pleasures at God's right hand. So if you long to experience marriage even though you are single, resurrection means you don't miss out. If you long to experience a loving family because your experience of family in this world has been so dysfunctional. Resurrection says you don't miss out. You don't miss out. And we don't need to be frantic about completing a bucket list of cramming all our experiences into our last years on earth because the best is yet to come. Eternal pleasures at God's right hand await us in a very physical world where we will experience everything that is good and far better than anything in this world. What we're waiting for changes our attitude to experience. What we're waiting for changes our approach to justice. You know, 1 Samuel 26, where David, we see the story of David and Saul that this psalm is written out of. In that chapter... David spares Saul's life for the second time. But Saul is pursuing David to try and end his life. And David gets two clear opportunities to get revenge on Saul and to end his life. And David spares him twice because instead of getting revenge, he wants relationship. And I think we can only do that we believe that there is a God who is sovereign for all eternity and he is a God of justice and no matter how many ways we've been wronged in this world we know that God is the one who will bring justice justice will be done and will be seen to be done so we don't need to be frantic about obtaining justice for ourselves 
in this life. Finally, I'm convinced that waiting for resurrection ought to change how we view death. Death is horrible because of the break in relationships. It's incredibly hard and painful for those of us who lose loved ones. Maybe recently you've lost a loved one. Maybe Christmas just gone was the first time that you did Christmas without someone very special. Death is hard for those who remain. But when a loved one dies and they know Jesus, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. No, the promise of resurrection means that we need not fear death, not for ourselves, nor for anyone who trusts in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Because we have a glorious future. And Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. God's people in Revelation 12, 11, do not love their lives so much to shrink from facing death. Paul again in 1 Corinthians, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We don't need to fear death. If you do, that's understandable because we live in a world where everyone fears death. So preach to yourself like David does. Remind yourselves of the the glorious hope that we have in Christ. The glorious future that awaits us. Being with Him and experiencing eternal pleasures at His right hand. Preach to yourself the good news of resurrection so that what we're waiting for can change how we live now. Father, we thank you so much that we do have something that we are waiting for, that we are hoping for, that we are longing for. Father, we pray that that waiting would make a visible difference in our lives. We pray that those who see us live would know that we're different. Not just because we think we're going to jump out of a grave, but because we are waiting for something that is so magnificent changes every aspect of our life. We pray that in Jesus.